What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So I was watching this old BBC clip online of an electronic lollipop. What is that? <laughs> so it's not actually a candy. The lollipop is still being developed in labs, but it's this gentle clamp that slides metal plates over the top and bottom of your tongue. I don't think it helps to call this clamp gentle. That still doesn't sound that appealing to me. <laughs> well, here's what's cool about it. So it sends currents through your tongue and adjusts the temperature on those plates. And the electronic lollipop can actually trick your tongue into thinking it's tasting a wide variety of flavors. Huh. Like a lemony sour taste is the easiest to pull off, and scientists can do reasonable approximations of other flavors. But the application of all this is really cool. Like imagine you're watching Iron Chef and Bobby Flay's on there and he's just made the most amazing eggplant spaghetti taco in the world. And you can't figure out for the life of you what an eggplant plus spaghetti in a taco shell should taste like. And so you just take a lick of your lollipop and suddenly you get a sense of that flavor. Wow, I mean, that's kind of weird, but it is it is pretty cool. It reminds me a little bit of smell vision except for your taste buds. <laughs> exactly. And you can see how this might be used in online grocery shopping in the future or checking out new recipes. It's totally fascinating. But what I found most interesting in all of this are the limitations. Because these currents are only playing with your tongue, they can only create a set of basic flavors. But when the scientists add a technology that incorporates your nose, suddenly the range of flavors expanded dramatically. And that got me thinking, what other tricks can we play on our tongue? And how much of flavor is really just something constructed in our brain? So that's what this episode is all about. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And today I'm here to address a big problem in the English language. I'm pretty sure you're talking about starting sentences with because, because my second grade English teacher had the same argument with me. Wait, this was second grade? You got in trouble in second grade for starting sentences with because? <laughs> yeah, actually, it was more of a thing that she said we shouldn't do. And then I started every sentence in a story with the word because. 
it was not a good strategy for going to recess that day. Uh, all right. Well, at some point, we'll do a whole episode on grammar so you can save your sob stories for then. But today I'm talking about how English speakers use the words taste and flavor interchangeably as though they mean the same thing. Wait, they don't mean the same thing? I know. It's pretty crazy. So I've been reading this new book called Flavor. It's by Bob Holmes, and it's really good. As Holmes explains, taste is just one component of flavor. And he writes, the best way to think about flavor is that it's the sum of all the sensations we get when we have food in the mouth. So think about the weight of the bowl, the color of the plate, the crunch of the potato chip. Even the choice of background music can have a direct effect on how we perceive flavor. That's funny because when I think of flavor, it seems like such a specific thing, like popcorn flavored jelly beans. That's a flavor. I think there might be some people who disagree with you on this. But But I know what you're saying is true, like taste and smell and touch and sound. They all play a role in how much we appreciate food. I guess I've just been using the wrong vocabulary. All right. Well, I'm not here to flavor shame you, but we (laughs) do have Bob Holmes on the show today, which is super exciting. And we'll be talking to him about flavor and some of the fascinating studies and facts he covered in his book. Speaking of which, do you have a terrible quiz lined up for us today? Oh, of course I do. Sticking with the flavors theme, we're playing Real Vintage Recipe or Gourmet Cat Food Flavor. It's a little harder than you think. Awesome. All right. (laughs) All right, well, let's kick this off by talking about taste. Even if it's not the same thing as flavor, it's obviously an important thing. Definitely. So in the English-speaking world, psychologists have traditionally acknowledged four different tastes. They're sweet, sour, salty, and bitter, and humans have different receptors for each of these. And then more recently, we've added a fifth taste, umami, which kind of just sounds made up, so we need to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, it did feel like a few years ago people started talking about umami, and it was like breaking news. Like, did you hear about (laughs) this umami flavor? And actually, to be honest, I got confused. I was mixing it up with the word unagi, which is... (laughs) The Japanese word for freshwater eel. Yeah. So so I was trying to understand why eel got to be a flavor of its own. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love eel, but it was still a little confusing. Yeah, it was confusing to me because I thought we were getting a brand new flavor. Like, you know, that apartment you have. Did you know it's been hiding a secret room all this time? Right. Or like you're familiar with the rainbow. Guess what? We're adding a new color. Exactly. Yeah. And, and instead it was like, you know, Parmesan cheese or soy sauce. Those are umami. You just didn't have a word for it. Right, but umami is definitely distinct. Yeah, it's a Japanese word meaning delicious flavor. And linguists usually translate it as savory or maybe meaty. And as Holmes explains, there are a few reasons why it takes a while to wrap your head around what umami is. First is that, unlike other tastes, you don't really experience umami as this isolated thing. Hmm. Think about it. You can bite into a strawberry and immediately experience that as sweet or lick a french fry and know that's kind of a salty taste. I think we've talked about this. You've got to stop licking your French fries. That's that's a little weird. (laughs) They're just so good, though. (laughs) But anyway, you can experience those tastes in a pretty pure and direct form. With umami, it's more in combination with other things. Taste researcher Paul Breslin also points out that the receptors for umami have a pretty low maximum intensity compared to other tastes, which prevents us from being able to note something as being very umami. Unlike how we might say something's very sweet or very salty. Yeah, and there's a much stronger cultural element than I realized. I mean, I know the stereotypes of different cultures being able to handle different levels of spice or things like that. But I really didn't think about how that could be applied to something like umami. But it turns out many people in Asian countries have no problem identifying things as umami. But they have the same ease that American children have identifying things as sweet. It's really interesting how taste has developed differently in different places around the world. Well, let's back up for a minute and talk about how these tastes would have developed from an evolutionary perspective. 
Yeah, it's one thing for us to identify or talk about these tastes when we cook at home or eat at restaurants now, but for our ancestors, these tastes were key to survival. So think about how a sweet taste would have let someone know that they were getting sugars, which are an important way to get calories for energy. Or tasting salt would be an indication of electrolytes. And umami would have indicated the presence of proteins. Now, on the negative side, our ancestors learned from bitter taste that something might be toxic or from sourness that a fruit might have gone bad or just not be good to eat. Yeah, it's not hard to see how we'd be hardwired to like sweet, salty, and umami. And it's equally fascinating to see how other animals have evolved differently because of their different nutritional needs. Like, there was a cat study. Oh, great, it's back. Well, a study was done that showed cats, because they're carnivores, are unable to really identify sweetness, and it has no appeal for them. And pandas, who are some serious bamboo eaters, don't really need to identify umami, so they've lost the ability to taste it. Well, and even more extreme than that, vampire bats' love of blood has caused them to lose the ability to taste umami, sweet, and bitter. I'm actually curious why we don't do a bat studies <laughs> like we do cat studies. <laughs> Have I mentioned I don't like cats? I think you've mentioned that a few times. All right, just wanted to make sure. So back to how we've evolved. There's another thing about taste that I think is just crazy interesting. So just as we're discussing how flavor is much more than just taste, taste also happens to be more complex than we thought. Did you know that there are taste receptors in multiple places around our body, not just our mouth? Sure, it's crazy, isn't it? Wait, so that means you do know about this? All right, I'm going <laughs> to quiz you. So do we have taste receptors in our lungs? Yes. What about our guts? Yes. What about our brain? Yes. What about our forehead? Definitely. No, we don't. We do not have taste receptors in our forehead. You slumdog millionaired me. <laughs> uh, you should know better. There's no cheating on our quizzes. So this isn't exactly well understood yet, but it's really fascinating. The ones in the gut, for example, detect umami and sweet and let our brains know that some yummy and nutritious food has arrived. And if they taste something bitter, they let us know there may be a problem and trigger a response of some kind. So you can get the sense for why they're helpful, but why do you think we need taste receptors in our respiratory system? So it's one way of letting our bodies know if bacteria has arrived because bacteria have a communication chemical with a bitter taste. And when the receptors in our respiratory system notice this, they help our bodies mount a response. There's even some thinking among scientists that these bitter receptors may have existed in other areas of our body first as a way of detecting infection and then moving to our mouths. Yes, yeah, Holmes explains, if this is the case, we have disease to thank for the flavor of coffee, beer, and broccoli. It's weird, right? All right, so I know in a few minutes we're going to play a quiz, but before we do that, I think we should find out whether we're super tasters. Super tasters? <laughs> well, it's not as exciting as it sounds, because while it does mean someone has a more intense sense of taste, Super tasters tend to be much more bland eaters because most tastes tend to be that much more extreme for them. Well, given the fact that the last time we ate at the Chinese place downstairs, it looked to me like you just ordered a plate of hot peppers. <laughs> so I'm guessing you're not a super taster. Yeah, we had a joke in our family that our dad served us so much spicy food that we burned off our taste buds. But <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> let me show you how we test for this using this filter paper. Each strip has a small amount of a bitter compound on them. It's called propylthiorosal, or P-R-O-P. So we're going to put these on our tongues and find out which of these three categories of tasters we fall in. Non-tasters will taste nothing. Tasters will notice the bitter taste, but it's not a huge deal. And super tasters will have this super strong response to it. All right, I like this. We should also get some other members of the PTG team in here. What do you say? Yeah, definitely. 
All right, so let's give this a shot. So we've got two of our team members joining us. We've got Noel Brown, who you may know from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, also a supervising producer on the show, and Jerry Rowland, our executive producer here. Guys, you guys ready to uh, give this a shot? Boy, am I ever. Okay. <laughs> all right, so we've all got these strips, and on the count of three, we're going to put them on our tongues, and we're going to see what happens. Now, as a reminder, if you taste nothing, which may be the case, you're a non-taster, if you taste a little bit of bitter or just some bitter, then you're a taster. And if it tastes extremely bitter, then you are a super taster. So, ready. All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. And I don't know which sides. You may have to flip it out. Tastes <laughs> nothing. Oh, wait. You get something? I got a, I got a hint of bitter. Uh-huh. Mine is totally bitter. Is it really? No. So bitter. Oh, like, oh, yeah. like, like grapefruit bitter. Oh, nice. I have a real um, paper taste. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, well, that means something completely different. We can't talk about I it. I might be fooling myself about that. So, Jerry, bitter. she's Dang. running away. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> she's always had great taste. She's Her, mind. Her mind is blown. <laughs> I hate grapefruit. She like is the worst. a super taster. But you okay. eat spicy food, Jerry. Love spicy food. But she, you just like the torture, of, I guess. I'm not sure what's happening. Wow. <laughs> oh, man, that's so disappointing. You've given us a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm so cheated. Like, not only can I not see those, like, 3D magic pictures, but also I can't taste these paper Yeah, strips. this is the worst. <laughs> okay, that's a bummer. I, was get, I, I think I was getting a slight taste of bitter. Okay, here we go. Well, while we're having so much fun, what do you say we play a little quiz? Sounds good. All right, so who do we have on the line today, Mango? We've got Sarah Fiddler, who's got one of the coolest jobs in the world. She's a flavor guru at one of my favorite ice cream companies, Ben & Jerry's. Wow, we are so excited to have you on. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, Sarah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I'm really curious how you got this job. I mean, what sort of training and schooling do you have to have to become a Ben & Jerry's flavor guru? Um, well, personally, I have a uh, degree in food science. Um, from the University of Vermont and a degree in baking and pastry from the Culinary Institute of America. There are a group of us flavor gurus here and everybody's got kind of a mixed background from chefs to food scientists. All come from different backgrounds. It's very cool. That's and, and, awesome. And, and how are flavors decided upon? Like how do you guys decide? You have so many fun and creative and awesome flavors. How do you guys uh, come up with these? Well, we start out by being very creative and kind of playing around in our test kitchen. And then we meet with um, our marketing team, our brand management team, uh, sometimes our social mission team, and figure out which of our crazy flavors makes the most sense to launch um, for the next season. And so how many flavors are you typically playing with? It could be a range. Uh -huh. Anywhere from maybe three to ten at a time. That's that's uh, pretty crazy. <laughs> um, I, I heard that the Ben and Jerry's staff takes a field trip every year to research new flavors. Is is that true? Yeah, we go on what we call trend treks. Um, pick a city or area that seems to be uh, filled with really up and coming. Food places, um, sometimes cocktail places, farms, and go as a group and eat as much as we possibly can, <laughs> and then come back and make ice cream inspired by what we ate. That's so cool. <laughs> well, where, where are some of the fun places you've trekked to? 
Um, well, I'm relatively new to the company, so I have yet to go on a trek, but I've heard that they've gone to San Francisco, Portland. Um, I believe there was a trip to Japan before I started. Very cool. Wow, I'm so jealous of this job. This sounds pretty great. Now, we also know about the uh, flavor graveyard at Ben & Jerry's. So are there, are there ceremonies when flavors are buried there? And, and how does this work? How do you pay your respects? Um, I think for some of the flavors that were a little bit more loved, uh, they do ceremonies. And sometimes it's more of a quiet affair. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that then. So <laughs> that's pretty great. All right, so Mango, what game are we playing today with Sarah? It's called Do Me a Flavor, mostly because I just wanted to hear you say Do Me a Flavor a oh, lot. Oh, thanks, Mango. I really, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Right, that's a uh, pretty terrible title. Now, how do we play? Basically, we're giving Sarah three popular flavors from an iconic food or drink brand, and she just has to tell us what we're talking about. Okay, that sounds fun. All right, Sarah, you ready to play? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. This chip comes in Cool Ranch, Nacho Cheese, and Heat Wave flavors. So do me a flavor and tell me what product we're talking about. Doritos? Yep. Yeah. You got it. One for one. <laughs> Question number two. The most popular flavors of this candy include Very Cherry and Buttered Popcorn, though the Blueberry flavor was particularly popular in the 1980s when it was created for Ronald Reagan. Do me a flavor. Mango, are you going to make me say do me a flavor? <laughs> do me a flavor and tell me what brand we're talking about. Jelly Bellies. You got That's it. That's right. All right. <laughs> two for two. Two for two. Question number three. This sports drink originally came in lemon, lime, and orange flavors. It has since expanded to include Rainberry, Glacier Freeze, and Cool Blue. Do me a flavor <laughs> and tell me what beverage I'm talking about. Gatorade? Yes. All right. She's three for three. Let's see if she can get the last two. Question number four. While this O-shaped breakfast cereal does come in flavors like fruity and frosted, the most popular varieties are still original and honey nut. Do me a flavor and tell me what breakfast cereal I'm talking about. Cheerios. Okay, we've saved the hardest for last. Good luck on this one. Okay, question number five. This iconic ice cream brand has the best punny flavors, including fish food, Americone Dream, and the Tonight Dough. Do me a flavor and tell me what really wonderful ice cream company we're talking about. Ben and Jerry. All right. That would have been kind of embarrassing if she'd missed out. Okay. It would have been very embarrassing. <laughs> well, Sarah went an astounding five for five, which wins her the grand prize, a handwritten note from us to her mom or boss singing her praises. Wow. So congratulations, Sarah, and thank you so much for playing. That's awesome. Congratulations, Sarah. Thank you both. <laughs> Please tell all the people at Ben and Jerry's we say thank you for making wonderful ice cream and keep up the great work. I will. <laughs> this is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. 
Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm not a super taster. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> lucky for you, we've been talking about the fact that flavor is so much more than just taste. And then we just talked about taste. But I, I think it's time we back that statement up and talk about another key component of flavor, and that's smell. All right. Talk to me about smell. Well, if you think taste is a complicated thing, it's nothing compared to the complexity of smell. Think about the millions upon millions of smells in the world and how our noses have to make sense of them and help us identify what things are. In fact, as Holmes points out, the olfaction researcher Joel Mainland estimates that there are about 27 billion smelly molecules in the world. Wow. And while that doesn't mean there are about 27 billion smells, because some might be identical, that's still this incredible number. Well, the other thing Holmes explains that I find so interesting, and this goes back to your electric lollipop example, (laughs) but that's how different taste and smell are. So our sense of taste is pretty easy to break down. We can enjoy a dish of sweet and sour pork and understand that it's sweet and sour. (laughs) Or have some ketchup and know that it's sweet, sour, salty, and umami. And maybe we're not thinking about those things actively, but those are all there and we can identify them. So, But smell is different because you really can't break it down. Instead, our brains take all the information from the smelly molecules and create a single perception of smell. As Holmes writes... If you combine ethyl isobutyrate, which is a fruity odor, ethyl maltol, which is caramel-like, and allyl alpha ionine, which is (laughs) violet-like, in the proper proportions, for example, what you smell is not caramel-coated fruit on a bed of violets, but pineapple. And it's made that much more complicated by the fact that in English, we really don't have the language to describe smells in any significant way other than saying what they smell like. So we might say something smells fishy or like grass or whatever, but this isn't the case everywhere, and especially in places that depend much more on those smells for survival, such as the remaining hunter-gatherer tribes. Take the Jahai tribe of Thailand. A research team set up a smell test between a group of Jahai men and a group of men from Texas. And when the Jahai men were presented with certain smells, they had just an easy time communicating what they smelled with very descriptive words, as they did in describing colors. And the Texans, on the other hand, were, of course, able to describe colors, but they struggled when asked to describe smells. Well, and there's one more reason why smell is just so difficult for us to understand and talk about. What's that? All right, so humans have around 400 odor receptors. But the part that makes things complicated is that only about half of those receptors work in pretty much everyone. 
But then of the other half, there's this wide range of which ones work in some people and not in others. Mm -hmm. So that leads to an incredibly wide range of smells that humans are capable of processing. In fact, for the most part, no two people have the same sense of smell, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, but needless to say, our sense of smell makes a huge contribution to the flavors we process. And there's another biggie to add to taste and smell, and that's the sense of touch. Think about the burn of a chili pepper or the chili feeling in your mouth when you're chewing on a minty piece of gum or fizz in a carbonated drink. Oh, man, that first sip of a Coke. How good is this first sip of a Coke? So good. I think I'll have one right now. All right. To Atlanta. <laughs> so it's interesting how little is really understood about this component of flavor, at least how few studies have been done on it. But we do know that spicy hot, for example, is not a taste. It's something you feel. And that we have specific receptors that cause the heat sensation when we eat spicy things. Speaking of spicy hot, do you know how the Scoville units, which uh, measure the heat of chili peppers, got its start? How's that? Well, apparently it goes back to this pharmacist and researcher, Wilbur Scoville. Scoville came up with the scale back in 1912, and it was a pretty smart way of doing it. He figured out that you could create a scale based on the amount of dilution required before the burn of a chili could no longer be felt. So a super hot pepper would take much more dilution. Oh, that is pretty smart. Yeah, and now it's easier for scientists to just measure the amount of capsaicin, which is the main ingredient that makes a chili hot, and then just convert those into Scoville units. Oh, it's pretty wild how hot some peppers can be. Take jalapenos, for example, which we think of as pretty hot. They come in about 5,000 Scoville units. Cayennes are at about 40,000. The habanero comes in at over 100,000, maybe even up to 300,000. Mm -hmm. But even the habanero doesn't hold a candle to the Carolina Reaper. And how many Scoville units does that one have? 2.2 million. <laughs> Is that not unbelievable? It's crazy. That's basically like police-grade pepper spray. Uh, and there's a new contender out there. It's called Dragon's Breath, which is a tiny pepper that can possibly kill you. But it sounds so cute. <laughs> so we have Noel Brown here to test this out. <laughs> Why would you even make a pepper that hot? Well, it's so unbelievably hot that it can actually numb your skin to touch. And that makes it useful as an anesthetic in areas without medical supplies. But let's leave the hottest of the hot peppers aside for a minute. It's interesting that we humans enjoy inflicting this burning pain on ourselves. And we don't know exactly why this is. I mean, I know we know about the endorphin release that happens when we eat spicy foods, but that still doesn't answer the question of why that happened. You know, First We Feast does that chili head enthusiast show, and I was reading an interview that said it's much easier to get people to drop their inhibitions when they eat a chili pepper <laughs> because they're, like, sweating and it's like they've just exercised. Yeah. So instead of those awkward questions you go through in the beginning of an interview, people just skip past that by eating chilies. Wow. Anyway, we know humans like heat, but researchers have yet to identify another mammal that seeks the heat of chili peppers. I mean, birds eat plenty of them, but they don't actually have the receptors that would feel the heat of capsaicin. So there's no sensation at all for them, even in eating a super hot pepper. I wonder if birds enjoy the first sip of a Coke. Oh, man. <laughs> to Atlanta. To Atlanta. <laughs> all right. While we savor our beverages, why don't we take a break for a quiz? Our guest today has been a science writer and correspondent for New Scientist magazine for over 20 years and is the author of Flavor, the brilliant book we've been talking about in this episode. And for those who listen to our episode on how clean we should be, you know I'm not surprised that a New Scientist writer would produce such a great book. Bob Holmes, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi, thanks for having me. 
Bob, in flavor, you mentioned that we can pretty much do away with the idea that we have previously had about taste maps, where different parts of our tongues help us experience different tastes. So are taste maps really not a thing we should think about anymore? They really aren't. And it's it's pretty easy to demonstrate that. All you have to do is take a Q-tip and dip it in salt water and brush it around your tongue. You know, the taste map says that you taste salty. I think it's right at the tip of your tongue. And you'll find that you can taste the salt anywhere. Huh. So how did this come about? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> it, it turns out there are slight differences in different parts of the tongue. You know, you've got a few more uh, bitter taste buds right at the back and a few more sweet at the front and things like that. But it, it's not enough to make much of a difference at all. Mm-hmm. You also write the possibility of a sixth taste or even more than that. And could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's almost certainly at least six tastes and maybe quite a few more. Uh, You know, we all know about sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and most of us know about umami, which is that fifth taste, that sort of savory taste. But almost certain, I think the evidence is really good now, that there is, in fact, a taste for, for fat, or more specifically for the fatty acid breakdown products of fat. And these are actually the nasties. Uh, the researcher who demonstrated this says the, the easiest way to think about what they taste like is to imagine old, rancid French fry oil <laughs> has gone off, and, and that's what fatty acids taste like. Yeah, I- Definitely know that so taste. It's almost certainly one of those warning tastes to keep us away from rancid fats. And is there, is there anything good that can be done with it? A little bit of these nasty fatty acids are part of what makes aged cheese interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and probably also a little bit in aged meat and things like that. Yeah. So in very small quantities, you know, just like, Putting a little bit of cat pee in perfume actually is a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, these nasties in our food probably do add interest if there's little enough of them. You know, one of the other things that you explained that I thought was was super interesting is that humans get a bad rap for having an inferior sense of smell. So is is this really a myth? We have fewer odor receptors in our nose than in something like a dog does. So they probably are better than us. But not nearly as much better than us as we think. <laughs> uh, you know, when people have looked, they found that that humans are actually pretty good at smelling stuff. A, a blindfolded person can follow a, tro- a chocolate trail across a lawn on their hands and knees, sniffing to find where the chocolate was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, most of the reason that we think we're so bad at smell is that our noses are way up in the air, and all the smells are down there on the ground. So if we were to if we were to explore our worlds just like our dogs do, we'd find there was stuff there we could smell. Uh, people can go into a into a onto a bookshelf and pick out which book someone has just handled by the smell alone. Wow! Uh, and, and the other place we're really good at smell actually is in flavor. You know, the shape of our heads mean that means that. Flavors, foods that are inside our mouth have very quick access to to the olfactory part of the nose. And so we're probably way better than our dogs are at appreciating flavor. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's really interesting. That's so crazy. I mean, I feel like that totally changes the truffle game, like the truffle hunting game. Like you don't need a pig if you're on all four floors. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably right. That's probably right. <laughs> some people don't smell the key compound in truffles. Yeah. yeah. I'd probably do it for the right bar of chocolate. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, being an expert on flavor, we couldn't let you go without putting you to the test on an ultimate flavor quiz. So, so Mango, what, what oh, game okay. do we have? What game do we have Bob playing today? We're playing a game called Vintage Recipe or Gourmet Cat Food Flavor. That's right. So we'll be tossing you a delicious sounding item. Delicious is in air quotes, which doesn't work quite as well on podcasts. But <laughs> you have to tell us if it's a vintage recipe we found online or a gourmet cat food flavor. So you ready to get started? Ready. All right. So the first one is ham and bananas hollandaise. Ham and bananas hollandaise. Is this a vintage recipe we found online or a gourmet cat food flavor? I'm going to go vintage recipe. Yeah. You would be right. It's a great way to make use of your leftover bananas and ham, apparently. (laughs) All right. Uh, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number two. Seabass in Seabass Consomme. I'm going to go cat food for that one. Yeah, you're right. It's from Tiki Cat's Hawaiian Queen Emma Luau line. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) All right, question number three. Liver sausage pineapple. I can't imagine a cat eating pineapple, so I'm going to go with vintage recipe. Yeah, wow, right. three for three. I really probably would have guessed cat food on that, though, just because the word liver would have thrown me off, I think. All right, number four, lime cheese salad. Got to be a vintage recipe. <laughs> Is he correct? Yeah, you're right. It's a, um, it was a recipe from Jell-O, and, and uh, it's a Jell-O bed with a seafood salad plopped on top. Mm. <laughs> I think I've had that at Midwestern Church suppers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got two left. He's four for four so far. Here we go. Ocean fish, tuna, and cheese sauce. That sounds like it would appeal to a cat. Let's go cat. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It is a gourmet cat. I can't believe there's cheese sauce in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's from the Tasty Treasures line. Right. Some fancy <laughs> cat food there. All right. Let's see if you can get six for six. Spam and limas. Spam and limas. Mm-hmm. Uh, gourmet. No, um... Vintage recipe. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a promotional recipe from Hormel, um, and it had a Spanish <laughs> gravy and frozen lima beans. That is incredible. <laughs> so, Bob, how has Bob done? He uh, ran the table. He, he did one incredible six for six, which wins him today's grand prize, which is our endless admiration. Wow. Congratulations, <laughs> Bob. That is huge. Kindly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, thanks so much for writing a terrific book and for uh, for joining us today on Part Time Genius. You betcha. Thanks All right. so much. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
you have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Guess what I've got in my pocket here, Mango? Oh, that sounds so creepy. Sorry, I should have, uh, <laughs> I probably should have phrased that a little differently, but guess what I have in my pocket here that rhymes with schmoplocks? <laughs> that sounds even creepier, but you've got pop rocks? That's right. I know we've talked about taste, smell, and touch, and that those are considered the flavor trinity, but we can't leave out sound or other multi-sensory effects on how we experience flavor. Well, are you going to crack open those bad boys or not? All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are so good. Pop Rocks reminded me of that, you know, that part in um, the Eddie Izzard routine where he's talking about chiropractors and how they live for the noise and that chiropracting, or what do you call it, chiropracting? <laughs> Cracking bones. Would be nothing if they didn't hear the sound. They're just like, I live for the noise, I crack your bones. So. Anyway. All right, you remember how our friend and former Mental Floss editor, oh, these Pop Rocks are still just popping like crazy. So, it's so good. I don't think I've had one of these since I was 10. I need more. Okay. So you remember how our friend and former Mental Floss editor, Jess Ann Collins, used to talk about chip o'clock in the office? Yeah, for you listeners, there was a period in the mid-afternoon when the editorial staff at Mental Floss used to all go out for their afternoon snack and grab a bag of chips. It made her crazy. Well, while that sound may be difficult for the person not eating the chips to listen to, for the people eating chips, that sound likely increased their enjoyment. So papers have shown that people rate chips as tastier if they provide a louder crunch. There was even a study by Charles Spence and Max Zampini that had people eat 180 Pringles. I'm so envious that people got to eat Pringles for science. I mean, we did get to have Pop Rocks and we had a Coke and we got to watch Jerry have that bitter taste. So. But as they did this, they wore headphones that played back the sound of their crunch. So as they worked their way through the chips, the researchers adjusted the volume level of the crunch feedback. And they found that the louder crunching made them rate the chips 15% tastier than the softer crunching. I still can't believe they got to eat Pringles for science. I know, good science. I know the sound of an expensive coffee maker has been showed to increase how people rated a cup of joe, but I also loved the study where Spence had a group of subjects eat oysters while listening to different sounds. Some of them heard the sounds of waves and seagulls, and some of them heard sounds from barnyards like 
chickens clucking and cows mooing. <laughs> and not only did those who heard the sea sounds rate the oysters tastier, they also experienced them as saltier. I love this stuff because it kind of feels like food trickery. Uh-huh. But I guess as we understand that all our senses are involved in how we experience flavor, it's really no more trickery than anything else we do to enhance flavor. So let's talk about some of the other multi-sensory effects on flavor. I love that music can affect how we experience flavor. Like, Holmes notes that really powerful music, like Carl Orff's Carmina Burana, causes people to note the heavier flavors in a red wine. And what he describes as zingy music actually brings out the brighter flavors in a white wine. And with that in mind, I'd like to recommend after the show we all listen to Hall & Oates and eat a bag of Rolos. I bet that can only make the experience of both better. (laughs) Then we'll eat one of those Reese's Fast Break Bars and listen to Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, it's science in action, folks. We'll uh, we'll report back. (laughs) But there are some other fun and funny results of experiments. Like there was this Goldilocks-style experiments using three bowls of yogurt. The yogurt was the same in all three bowls, but the bowls weighed different amounts. And how many bears were involved? (laughs) (laughs) Zero. It wasn't published in our bear-reviewed medical journals, but people did note that they enjoyed the yogurt in the heaviest bowl most. Like, why should weight of a bowl affect your enjoyment? And strawberry mousse served on a white plate was rated sweeter than the same dessert served on a black plate. One of my favorite studies was the one on hockey fans at Cornell, and researchers found that when the home team won, fans actually found the ice cream to be sweeter. And when they lost, they noted it as more sour. Like, wow. How weird is that? That's almost as science as our science. <laughs> okay. So if all these senses contribute to flavor, why do we only associate flavor with the stuff happening in our mouths? Well, that's the work of our brains. It takes all that information, smell, taste, texture, sound, and combines it into one experience. And then it tells us that experience is happening in our mouths. So as a side note, many food scientists now say that while foods obviously contain flavor molecules... They believe the actual flavors themselves aren't created by the food, but instead by our brains. Which I guess would be a big part of the reason why we all experience flavor differently. That's just weird. Yes, it is. But we are not done with our weird facts for the day. You know what time it is. It's time for the part-time genius fact off. (laughs) The part of the show where we share some of the interesting facts we learned recently but didn't get a chance to mention just yet. So, Will, why don't you start this round? All right, sure. So if you read airline magazines, you often see that famous chefs pair up with airlines to improve the in-flight meals. But the odds are stacked against them. According to a study commissioned by the German airline carrier Lufthansa, between the elevation and the dryness that occurs in the cabin, your sensitivity to sweet and salty foods decreases by about 30% which means the meal probably tastes a whole lot better if you save it for after you land. (laughs) Do you know peanut butter and mayo sandwiches used to be a popular thing? Like, according to Garden and Gun magazine, the sandwiches were a staple during the Depression and could be fancied up by adding a few leaves of lettuce and some pickles. And so the editors at Food52, this other site, also tried the sandwich on reader recommendation, and their verdict was if you wear a blindfold when you take a bite— It almost tastes like a tuna sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Why don't we just name a few odd recipes we found since we both looked them up. The Betty Crocker recommended a tuna and jello pie, also known as a summer pie. (laughs) To avoid the winter sales slump, Dr. Pepper ran ads that you should heat the soda in a saucepan and then pour it over a lemon. Gross. Which is why nothing reminds me of Christmas more than a steaming mug of Dr. Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that Johnny Walker makes a mustache wax that enhances their drinks? (laughs) The wax comes in three flavors, pepper, citrus, and ginger, and it helps to apply a generous amount to your stash. (laughs) So I know we talked about eating and texture today, but I learned this isn't a completely new concept. 
In the 1930s, the Italian futurists played with food and texture in a completely different way. Diners were clothed in textured pajamas, <laughs> which they stroked with one hand in a dark room while burying their face in vegetables. <laughs> what? <laughs> and when they looked up for their plates, a waiter would spritz them with perfume. <laughs> for some reason, the movement didn't take off. I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. Futurists hated pasta, and they liked to sculpt their meats. And there was also one course where you ate salad out of a tiny box with one hand and turned a crank with the other. As long as you were turning the crank, your waiter would dance for you. <laughs> oh, that is so good. I, I have to give you this one. So you earned this week's fact off. Speaking of which, we need to nominate a Smarty Pants to our Hall of Genius. I'm thinking we should give it to William Mitchell's family. Mitchell was a food inventor who grew up on a farm, worked his way through college, and then went on to invent Cool Whip powdered egg whites for cake mix, quick set jello, tang, and... That's so many amazing things. And what? And Pop Rocks. <laughs> Apparently the candy was supposed to be a carbonated drink mix, but it worked better as a crazy kid's treat. He's in. William Mitchell's family, you'll be getting a certificate in the mail. And special thanks to our brilliant nonfiction librarians over at the Hoover Public Library in Hoover, Alabama, for recommending the book Flavor by Bob Holmes. If you like what you heard, be sure to pick up a copy today. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to Part-Time Genius. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And because we're a brand new show, if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love it if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Part-Time Genius is produced by some of our favorite geniuses. It's edited by Tristan McNeil, theme song and audio mixing by Noel Brown. Our executive producer is Jerry Rowland. Our research team is Gabe Luzier, Lucas Adams, Autumn Whitefield Medrano, Austin Thompson, and Meg Robbins. Jason Hoke is our chief cheerleader. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. 
the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.